Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast about people who, on the surface, appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have a lot going on. Emily Mashinsky started dancing at four years old. She continued to study at SUNY Purchase College, where she graduated with her BFA in dance in 17. In 18, Emily moved to Budapest, Hungary, to train and perform with the Budapest Dance Theater. She has traveled to Panama, Ethiopia, and India with teams, teaching the gospel and leading dance workshops. Emily developed Blink Verse to continue the mission to integrate performing arts and the love of Christ. Emily currently resides in Kansas with her husband, Nathan. She dances locally with the Owen Cox Dance Group, the Tristan Griffin Dance Company, and Storling Moves. She has her 200-hour registered yoga certification, and she regularly teaches dance and yoga classes around the Kansas City area. Today, we're discussing her life story, her time in Hungary, her hard work, creativity, and why she has a generous spirit. If you've ever wanted to work hard at something or do something beautiful, you'll love hearing from Emily. Hey, Emily. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. Um, just how long have you been dancing? I have been dancing for just over 20 years. What kind of dance do you do? I am currently performing mostly contemporary works, but I have a background in ballet, point, modern dance, and I also sprinkle some tap and jazz in there. That seems like a tremendous amount. Do you dance professionally? I do dance professionally. Um, can you say just a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I dance with a couple of local companies in Kansas City. Um, Owen Cox Dance Group is a collaborative group that performs alongside um, musicians. Some are local and some have um, been in the Kansas City area and since have moved away. Um, I also work with uh, Tristan Griffin Dance Company. Um, he is an up-and-coming awesome choreographer and his work is also about um, collaborating and um, using your own voice as an artist. Um, Sterling Dance Theater, I've had the privilege of um, guesting with them a couple of times. Uh, my first time with them was in Underground, which is a performance that they put on annually about the Underground Railroad. So I get to dabble here and there and uh, work as a freelance dancer wherever I can. I might get into some of like the fitness and nutrition type questions later, but just for now, I'm just very curious, how many hours a day would your body be in motion with all that you're doing? In motion as much as possible. So from the moment I wake up, I try to go on a walk or run or something. And by the end of the day, if I'm still, <laughs> if I still have energy left, I'll, I'll stretch, I'll, I'll keep moving, but I, I have to keep moving all the time. Okay, so you're still moving. I guess I'm just amazed by that. I used to run marathons, and a marathon, a fast marathon for me might be three hours and 30 minutes. And I, I was just exhausted at the end of these things. Well, the better condition I was in, the less tired I was, which was always kind of interesting. The worse condition I was in, just the more I was just dead, bedraggled, uh, just awful. And I, I'm just, so I'm thinking hours and hours and hours, every day long, your body is in motion. 
I think it comes down to a lot of pacing. So you can be in motion if you're doing something such as yoga, where you're taking the time to breathe. You're still moving, but it's not the the full sprint that you've got to do. So the scope of a ballet class, for instance, starts out slow, but within it, you have things like petit allegro, which will be jumping and you're moving fast and it's more aerobic. So balancing the anaerobic with the aerobic is is important. Okay. So it's about pacing and variation. Yes. Yeah, okay. and building that endurance as well. Okay, okay. And well, and just forget the fact that I don't know a ton about dance, and so I'm just sort of feeling my way through it, but I just find it inspiring. Why do you dance? You've been doing this since you were four. What does dance add to the world? I think beauty is one of the most important things that dance adds to the world. Um, in art, in general, you get... Um, that creativity uh, that just blossoms from from people. So it's a way for people to express their souls in in many ways. And dance for me has been that platform to express my soul. Um, It builds connections in the community. And community, we might talk more about this later, is is so important to me. So being able to, to dance in connection with people, it's a completely different experience than just having a, a face-to-face conversation. And dance is also so important to me because it communicates things that, that can't be spoken. Can you, well, you just said things that can't be spoken. Can you try to communicate something now that gets communicated through dance? Yeah. So um, for, for instance, and this will be a, a pretty straightforward uh, example, but if <laughs> I don't speak Spanish, I've had the privilege of um, being able to perform for Spanish-speaking audiences, dance is not a spoken art form. So if we're communicating something, um, a story, for example, it's all about the emotion and the movement that you're you're mm. expressing. And regardless of the actual verbal language that you speak, movement itself can communicate so many different emotions and it there's this innate human connection that that you get right away just by experiencing dance i get it it's kind of like how you could hear a song in a foreign language and maybe it might make you very happy and exhilarated or it might just move you to tears Absolutely. Even though you don't understand a word. Yeah, absolutely. Just like that. I've got a, uh, a love for German pop star, Nina, uh, who did 99 Red Balloons. Awesome. And I went out there and I bought, I think it was like eight albums by Nina. And uh, I would listen to them every day. And I don't have the slightest idea what she's saying. She could be saying, Tim, you are an idiot. Over yep. and over and over again. And I just love it. I just... Yep. Uh, she's she's happy, she's sad, she's charming, she's aloof, she's just everything that you can possibly think of. And I picked that up uh, without, I guess, knowing the language. And I guess that's what you're doing with dance. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. there's, I, my, my family does not have any background in dance, which is interesting for me, but they can watch me and just feel so many things because they're seeing myself um, ex- express myself. So it's it's interesting um, being able to communicate with people that have no idea what I'm doing, but they can still watch and, and get something out of it. You got into dance when you were four, but you just said your family really doesn't have any connection to dance. Uh, there's got to be a story behind that. Yeah, there sure is. <laughs> so um, my I have an older sister. Um, I'm actually the third of four children in my family. And my older sister is the second, so I follow her in in the birth order. Um, 
she decided that she wanted to take dance classes when she was little. Um, I, I was young, so I don't remember the story fully, but it's been retold through the generations. And she wanted to take dance classes. And as the little sister, of course, I wanted to follow and be just like her. So my mom put me into dance classes after my sister. And needless to say, I fell in love with it right away. My sister ended up it wasn't her thing. She did other great things um, in the culinary world. But um, yeah, I, <laughs> I just fell in love with it because I wanted to be like my sister and it, it stuck. So. so she saw it and then she just begged your folks, I want to do this. I mm-hmm. want to do this. And then they got her into it and then you got hooked. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, how hard does a dancer have to work to succeed? A dancer has to work very hard, just like any anything that you would train. Um, an athlete has to be trained. An artist has to work on their creativity. So dance is incorporating both that athletic as well as the, the performing arts side. Okay. I'd, I'd almost like to compare it to something else. So in college, I double majored in English and math. And math was extremely difficult for me. And I would have to spend hours and hours and hours studying to make, you know, slightly better than a B average. And in all honesty, I am thinking dance would have been a lot harder for me Mm. than my math major. And I also kind of think with a math major, there's just any number of jobs that open up for a person. You can use it as an ancillary to say an English major or a chemistry major, pharmacy major. Uh, Everybody talks about STEM and STEAM. Uh, I'm just thinking with dance, your body's in motion all day long. You have to be physically very fit, but you also have to worry about agility, balance, coordination, flexibility, uh, all of these things. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking the workload might have been crushing. Absolutely. And then the competition would be merciless. Yeah. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah. So that that competition is is so true. Um, To to be a dancer, you have to be 100% dedicated. Um, The the field itself is so, um, what is that dog eat dog? Is that a a phrase we use? Yeah. So you have to, you have to make sure that you're always at your best. And so oftentimes you'll go into an audition, for example, and you will have everything right, but you're not the specific type of dancer that they're looking for. Mm. For instance, um, I've been into a couple of auditions. I'm a tall person and I was not offered a, a job position because I was too tall. They didn't have a man that was tall enough to partner me. So there are things that are outside of your control that no matter how hard I work, no matter how strong I get, I might just not be the right fit. And um, that's something that a lot of dancers will learn this as they go through um, periods of rejection which is another just element that you have to have to work through as a dancer. But um, yeah, you have to be so strong, not only physically, but emotionally to be able to, to get past those hurdles and to keep going. So. How do you develop a thick enough skin to handle all of the rejection? Oh, I think it just depends on how badly you really want it. So if you hear your first rejection letter and or your first rejection notice and um, it crushes you and you don't have the will to get back up, then mm. you you probably are not going to make it, right? So 
that thick skin just develops over time through experience and um, I've had many, many like low moments, but it's about that journey, how to climb back up and to, yeah, <laughs> to, to keep climbing. What do you think of Bono? He's the lead singer of U2, has a quote where he says, uh, you can't lose if you don't quit. Can't lose if you don't quit. Let me think about that. You can't lose if you don't. You will quit. win if you persist. You will win if you persist. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, yeah, and I, I think that the idea of success as a dancer can be so many different things as well. Uh, many, many dancers see it as, I am going to be in a company, and that is my success as a professional dancer. But in this world, the dance world, um, it's, the idea of success is changing all of the time. Um, people are becoming more freelance dancers, and uh, they're there's no longer that traditional pathway, which maybe we'll talk more later about, about the pathway of a dancer, but there's no longer that traditional, I'm now in a company and that is my full-time job. But there are so many different ways that you can find success as a dancer, even if it's not in that traditional, this is my nine to five, so to speak, um, work. Yeah, let's come back to those two different pathways shortly, the traditional path and the freelance path. Mm -hmm. uh, for now, I just want to ask, if a person doesn't start when they're four years old, are they doomed? They are not doomed. <laughs> there, there is always hope. Um, I have an amazing teacher. Um, he was my teacher growing up. He didn't start dancing until he was 16, and he found amazing success. Right now, he's um, working mostly as a choreographer and a teacher, which is an, another career path that you can take, but... Um, yeah, you can start when you're 16, you can start when you're 21, you can start when you're 65, but um, yeah, dance, dance is not one way, one shape, one form. There, there are many different ways that you can find success. What kind of a professional dancer can a 65-year-old become? A joyous one. <laughs> <laughs> Can they make a living at it? Or? Making a living? I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. They would really have to find their own niche in, in their community where they are. But, yeah, if, if they want to be a, a, a dancer, maybe not a professional, but a dancer, they would definitely be able to find some, some joy okay. in that. Okay, it's like that old song. My grandpa, he's 95. He keeps on dancing. He's still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. Okay. Uh, well, let's get into your secret origin story. Mm -hmm. um, so you started at four. Then what was grade school like as a dancer? As a dancer, um, grade school was interesting. So I actually started doing um, competition dance is what I, what I did. So um, mostly jazz and tap were my, my root introductions to, to dance. And I would remember um, maybe once a month, maybe more sometimes, we would go to competitions. So I would um, go to classes at least three to four times a week after school, be there for a couple of hours work on our competition routines and then the weekends would be filled with me and my mom going to competitions and I would still be dancing she would do my hair my makeup it would be a, a big deal and yeah so grade school was <laughs> was still very much ruled by my extracurricular dance activities what was your level of enthusiasm I mean that's a very dedicated thing this is essentially a part-time job yeah 
Yeah. So, I mean, what's your level of enthusiasm? I mean, you're 10 years old. You're doing all this. You have a part-time job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah wow. You make it sound, <laughs> sound <laughs> very demanding, which it was. But um, I was always excited about it. I mean, um, what, what little girl, at least in my eyes, doesn't want to go and, like, spin around a lot and kick her legs up and um, jump and up and down and run around with all of her friends. It, it, it was a great time. And um, I just always found such like passion for, for just expending my energy because I had a lot of it from, from a young age. I was always bouncing off of walls. So it gave me that discipline to, to, to put into it. Okay. Well, then how was the rest of your schoolwork? Were you just like itching to get through school so that you could get to dance? Yes, absolutely. So um, I, I, I'm intelligent, right? I, <laughs> I'm, I'm relatively smart. Um, I didn't really struggle that much academically. Um, and a lot of that I have my family to thank. Um, my dad is one of the most brilliant people that I know. My mom is um, very creative and is able to help me in so many ways just to guide that. But... Um, yeah, so schoolwork, um, I would do it very determinedly throughout the day. That way I wouldn't have any homework left over and I could just focus on dance. Okay, so that's grade school. What about high school? High school, I, <laughs> I'll start from the back. So I graduated high school a semester early mm. so I could focus solely on dance. Um, and that came with a lot of um, extra work that I would have to put into um, making sure that I had all of my requirements, making sure that my grade levels were high enough. And yeah, so I, I tried my best to, to breeze through high school. As you quickly. graduated in three and a half years. I did. Um, nobody cares about your GPA once you get into the real yeah. world. <laughs> that, that's true, I suppose. But was it above a B average? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's just amazing to me. My sister graduated in three years from high school, mm -hmm. and that's because she just really did not enjoy high school. Yeah, I didn't either. I could never quite find my my group to, to hold on to, and um, some people have called me a bit of a free spirit, so that might have been some of it, but I think that I was always just ready to, to get to my, my craft, I okay. suppose. Is dance populated with free spirits, or is there just a wide diversity of personalities in dance? There is a very wide diversity. So I have met many, many free spirits, but I have also met people that have um, just structured their lives to a T in such a way that I admire because I'm not able to, to do that. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, the dance world in itself is, is, is as diverse as, as any community that you might look at as so. the rest of the as civilization the rest, of the, the rest of civilization you know okay yeah there's not like a specific dance or personality i don't think so i there would be stereotypes of course um but yeah the dancer personality is is it's definitely um it, it, there's a full spectrum of personalities in it. Gotcha. There might be a few dancer traits, mm -hmm. but not necessarily a dancer yeah. personality. Yeah. So a few dancer traits. Um, you have to be a perfectionist in some way, shape, or form. So, mm. And that can look different for other people. So I'm a, I'm a perfectionist in the sense that um, I'm always trying to make 
my um, tendus pointed more, which is a dance step. So you can you can look that up if you're if you're at home listening. Um, or my arabesque, like a little bit higher. But I'm always trying to work on myself. Other people will be a perfectionist in in other ways where they're very concerned about um, like the the spacing of something that a dance is taking up, and they're always trying to get better with their musicality. Which I I try to work on all those things as well, but. Yeah, so perfectionism, I think, is, a, is an overarching um, trait that, that dancers would, would have. Gotcha. But obviously nobody can be perfect in every single area, so that's why you work on a few things. Yes, gotcha. yeah. And dancers gotcha. will never be perfect in any area, which is, again, why um, I guess another trait that dancers would have is that thick skin that we mentioned earlier. So right. that constant striving for something, but also knowing that you're never going to be good enough is is, is really hard. Well, right, yeah. right. <laughs> right. Like a singer trying to hit the perfect note, yeah. there is no perfect note. Yeah, yeah. And that is one of those beautiful things that I think about art in general is that there, <laughs> there is definitely a level of excellence, but there's no cap to that level of excellence. Yeah. You can always be better. There's no ceiling. You can always go higher. You can always go higher. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like, I don't know, if Elon Musk's rocket ever gets to Mars, then <laughs> yeah. after that, he's just going to want to go farther out. Yeah. Next planet. Yeah. <laughs> you just keep going. There's, yeah. there's yeah. No, no cap. What's the next one yeah. that's out there? Uh, okay. So between school and making good grades and graduating early and then just dancing full time like this... Uh, if you had any spare time, what were your hobbies? What did you like to do in your spare time? So, um, I've got some hobbies for sure. I love being outside. Um, even if that is just me sitting down in the grass and just being in the sunshine, Mm. I... I feel like I'm a, a plant. I could just live there. Um, so, you, your diet is photosynthesis. I love photosynthesis, yeah. <laughs> I could survive off of sunlight. It, it really does fuel me, though. Um, so anything outdoors. Um, my husband has recently gotten me into camping. Um, that started at the beginning of our marriage. So I love camping, love exploring. Um, I have been painting for a while. It's something that I haven't done recently that I would love to pick up again. But in high school specifically, I painted a lot. So that's that's something that would fill some of my time. Um, what yeah. type of art style do you paint in? Are you a realistic painter? No. Are you a pointillist? Are you an abstract? I mean, are you Picasso's daughter? I wish I was Picasso's daughter. <laughs> no. At least that would give me some sort of credit. Um I, I definitely do some um, abstract, conceptual things. I love patterns and very, very bright colors. So, okay. Um, I use acrylic paints, um, which, yeah, I've tried the oil route. It's it's just a little bit too messy for me, and I, I need, like, a quick cleanup. <laughs> so okay. acrylic paint has always been my, my go-to media. Okay. But. I, you know, I know less about painting than I know about dance. Really? So I think I'm going to have to get back <laughs> well, to I'm dance. Well, I'm certainly not an expert. You should find a painter. I'm, I'm sure that they could give you a lot more. <laughs> oh, I'm, I've got a painter lined up to interview, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so as a dancer, I want to ask you about your exercise and nutrition mm-hmm. and your sleep and your water and things like that. Yeah. I, it's a minor obsession with me, these things. Uh, so nutritionally, is there a pattern or a philosophy that you follow? So I have tried many things throughout my life. Um, starting when I was 16, I decided just one night I was going to become a vegetarian. 
Um, that lasted two years, and when I went to college, I no longer had the resources of my family to provide me with the best quality mm. um, because I was now paying for my own groceries. <laughs> <Right>. So um, that that quickly ended um, just because I, I wasn't able to get enough protein in my diet. So um, I shifted back to incorporating meat, and um, I was able to take care of my health better in that way. But um, yeah, I mostly focus on just eating mindfully. So I definitely indulge into things. Um, but if I just think about, um, what it is that's putting, what it is that I'm putting into my body is my fuel. I don't try to think too much about it because I don't want it to become something that can, um, become self-destructive because if I think about something a lot, I am one of those people that can become self-destructive. So I can't overthink things like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you don't put too much thought into nutrition. No. You just try to be a little bit intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like I'm not, I'm going, if I'm giving a, a choice between something that I know is very bad for me and something that is good for me, I'm going to choose the thing that is good for me. Okay. So, yeah. And the fact that you've got this big reward as a dancer, I'm mm -hmm. trying to be a dancer, then that sort of helps you stay motivated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Having that picture and just knowing you eat until you're full, you don't eat more. Like <laughs> just knowing, gotcha. knowing your own body and your own limits. And um, when you're feeling low energy, have a snack, like sim simple things like that. So Okay. Okay. And then when hungry, like mm -hmm. let's say you just didn't get a chance to eat for 10 hours. Yeah. What would be the first thing you see? I, I'd be tempted at that point to eat junk food Yeah. because my self-discipline is down. Whenever sure. my, my uh, energy is down and my self-discipline is down and then my temptations go up. Sure. Yeah. So on any plan that I've been on, people say, well, just eat something healthy right off the bat. Yeah. Do that first. And that will help help kill cravings. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on all that? Um, my thoughts, and maybe this is not the right answer, but I would say banana and peanut butter. Okay. <laughs> that, that is what I would go to because it gets that fruit, which I'm feeling good. Uh -huh. And then that peanut butter, I get that protein, but also those uh -huh. sugars that, that I, I need. Yeah. So. Well, the banana is mostly sugar. So that's yeah, just a that's big, true. big sugar joke. And I do have a sweet tooth. So that that's my weakness. But um, gotcha. yeah, I, I definitely would say banana and peanut butter whenever I'm, I've just had a long day. That is what I will start with. And then I'll take a break and see what else I, I need. Okay. So. Well, you're very, you're just a very slender dancer and your body's in constant motion. And I'm just curious, how many calories do you think you burn per day? Ooh. There was some Olympic swimmer, maybe Greg Luganis, I can't quite remember, where this guy was just chiseled. He looked like a Greek statue. The man burned 12,000 calories oh my goodness. a day. Yeah. I have never, unlike yourself, been somebody very good with numbers. So I don't even know if I would be able to take, take a guess as to how many calories I burn a day. Especially okay. when I'm in, in the midst of rehearsing, um, which would be something that's more like a nine to five um, hour a, a day thing. I, I have no idea. Gotcha. No. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, exercise habits. Then. Yeah. Let's get into that. All right. Because you need those. That's uh, a absolutely. Yeah. So I um, have recently started running, um, which has been something that, that I have always loved to do. But doing dance 
and doing running at the same time, it takes a lot of impact on your body. So I got to take care of my joints. Um, this has been an off season for me. So I've been able to run a lot more, which has been awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, when I am dancing, however, um, going to the gym and doing low impact elliptical or stationary bike, those things are great. And I try to do that at least three to four times a week just to get that cardio in. Um, cause Believe it or not, even if you're dancing, taking a full ballet class, taking a full modern dance class, all of those things are still not enough for me to be able to maintain the level of endurance and stamina that, that I want to maintain. Okay. Um, so the running helps you maintain the stamina. The running definitely helps me maintain the stamina and just build that um, strength and yeah, that, that okay. I'm always seeking to do. Okay. So. Now, I know from my marathoning mm -hmm. that runners could get... Very, very stiff. What do you do to, I guess, maintain flexibility? Yoga. <laughs> yoga, yes. So I am also a yoga instructor, which helps me to just get into the studio because I I can practice along with a lot of my um, students that I have in class. But also, um, it gives me access to a lot of yoga classes as well. So yoga, I actually um, came to yoga when I was in college and it helped me through a serious injury that I went through um, just to maintain some physical fitness and um, some physical therapy or a physical therapist recommended yoga to me. And um, I fell in love with the way it made my body feel because I was always a stressed out tense dancer before that. <laughs> and so yoga actually helped me to find that that ease um, and um, stretch that I'd always been looking for. Well, I have to say after running 24 marathons and I think roughly 200 half marathons, yoga saved my body. Mm -hmm. uh, and any ache and pain that I had uh, just absolutely just got zeroed out of my system. And I just feel very flexible, very good. And I really am appreciative of yoga. So, so good job on the yoga teaching. <laughs> What is a stressed out dancer? You just said a stressed out. Yeah, what was that phrase you used? Stressed a out. Stressed out dancer. I I don't know exactly what I said, but that sounds about right. <laughs> um, so their ballet is hard. I'm just gonna start off with that. So ballet is a really really hard discipline. Um, if you're gonna go and into that, especially as a, a professional dancer, and it it's it's just difficult because you have these muscles that you don't use as a normal human being mm. your legs are turned out your toes are pointed you're lifting your leg above your hip which if you ask a random person on the street chances are they're not going to be able to do that um so with all of that said it it causes um if you're not mindful of it stress in places like your shoulders and your abdominals and everything just kind of tenses up because you're not working um, always correctly or taking care of your body after you do a class by um, either massage or stretch or something. Okay. Okay. Because I knew a ballet dancer mm -hmm. and she said that ballet dancers actually have fairly short careers because of all the turning out. Mm -hmm. And I said, what's turning out? And she said... Things like moving your knee in ways that your knee was never designed to move. Hmm. So you, you turn out, maybe at like a 90 degree angle away from your body. And uh, so I tried that and I thought, oh, that hurts. <laughs> so I'm yeah. just wondering, like, how do, how do you, uh, how do you compensate for that? Or do you just accept the fact, oh, I'm going to have so much wear and tear. I'm just going to tear down my body. And, and by the time I'm 35, my career is yeah. going to be done. I, what's, what's the attitude of a ballet dancer? 
Yeah, well, as a ballet dancer, um, I so I, I have since transitioned into a contemporary dancer. So my past is ballet. So speaking from that perspective, I would say that um, you might look for a shorter career as a ballet dancer. Mm. Many ballet dancers actually will transition into contemporary work when oh. they feel like they're um, toward the end of their ballet career. I see. Um, contemporary dance, needless to say, is, is not easy to do, um, but it can be a little bit less stressful on the body, okay. which which is is nice. Um, but then again, you're bringing in different elements. Maybe you're standing on your hands or like doing funny floor rolls <laughs> or, or, or things like this, which are impactful in a completely different way. So, um, but as, as far as um, taking care of your body and looking forward to a career, I think that every individual finds their own path. Of course, it's important to um, know your own body and dancers... Um, they have to be so in tune with what their body is because every body is different. Um, some people might have more issues with their knees. I personally have more issues with my feet and ankles and um, some people have issues with their hips. And so you have to know what it is that your weaknesses are and how to take care of those things. So for me, I've um, learned that if I take ballet class Every single day of the week, it's too much on my body. So I have to pace myself um, and take ballet classes maybe four times a week, something like this. That way, my body gets that rest that it needs in between. And that will ultimately keep my um, dancing longevity um, in in check. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, We didn't talk about strength training. Mm -hmm. What do you do in terms of weights or strength training? Yeah, um, so I I do lift weights. Um, I tend to lift lighter weights um, because... You don't want to bulk up. I don't want to bulk up, but long lean muscles is what dancers um, typically aim for. And so I do some of those machines at the gym. I have no idea what they're called, but the things where you move your legs in and out um, (laughs) with, with the weights attached, I think for the adductors and abductors, I do those a lot just because that keeps my um, turnout muscles, which we've talked about turnout now, um, really activated. And then I also do some arm work because in a ballet class, you don't really build that much arm strength. But um, specifically in contemporary work, arm strength is is majorly important because you're now starting to partner other dancers. So um, you, if I'm going to have to lift a person, I, I need to be strong, right? right. So um, things such as like push-ups, which isn't necessarily weight training, but you're still using your own body weight. So push-ups are important. Um, I do some like arm curls and, <laughs> and things like that. Um, can you lift another person? Yeah, of course. I mean, how, how heavy of another person can you lift? Well, I can lift my husband. So he's, okay. I don't, he's not 200. He's way, way under that. But um, I don't know. He's, about, he's larger than I am. Okay. <laughs> I'll say that. Somewhere between 160 and 200 pounds? Yeah, probably something Okay, there. and you can lift him. Of course, How yeah. high can you lift him? Well, he's off the floor, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know how high I can lift him, but yeah. And so much of lifting, yes, there's strength invo- involved, but then you're thinking about anatomy. How are you aligning your, your bones with another person's bones to ease a little bit of um, okay. the, the weight, so... Yeah. So, so in an actual performance, mm-hmm. how high would you lift a person, and who would this person be? Would it be a, a guy or would it be a girl? It totally depends on the choreography. So, um, 
Owen Cox Dance Group, the, the local company that I perform with, they do a lot of partnering work. And a lot of, um, if you go to see their performance, there will be somebody in the air at least three times throughout the show. And sometimes it's a group effort. Oftentimes it is a group effort where three people will be lifting one person way up above their heads. Okay. So it's it's a team effort um, that you have to do. But that person can be a man, a woman, it, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat and we're all expected to be able to do the same um, tasks. Okay. So. Would you ever want to be in Cirque du Soleil? <laughs> um, I had a friend in Cirque du Soleil, and yeah, I, I don't think I personally would ever want to be in it, um, but I, I have great respect for what they do, and it, it's a lot of work what they do, so. Okay, let's get into your secrets of self-discipline. Mm-hmm. I, I just always kind of feel like if I had more self-discipline, then just a lot more things would be possible. And I wonder if a lot of people feel that way. And so I guess I'm personally always looking for ways to increase my self-discipline. Sure. Uh, you're a very self-disciplined person. What are your secrets? Oh, <laughs> my secrets. Um, you know, it, most of, most of um, my, my secret, I, I suppose, comes from my groundedness. And this actually comes in, my faith comes into play a lot with this. Um, if I don't start out my day um, in spending time with God, I do not feel equipped to go out into the world and, and do what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so that that is a huge secret of my self-discipline is to, to keep that time uh, sacred for me in the mornings. First thing I do when I wake up is, is to um, just communicate with God and um, that it really does keep me grounded throughout the day. I'd say that's the biggest secret that I have. I don't know. Um, other secrets, I, I just try to keep little reminders on my phone, like make sure you've ran or make sure you've, you've done, done these things, and I check those off um, throughout the day. But, I have heard the, uh, the same type of remarks about centering your day around God from entrepreneurs, from mm-hmm. other artists and writers, from athletes, just from all kinds of people. Um, it really does seem to keep people motivated. Are you also much of a scheduler? I have gone in and out of scheduling. So much like many things in my life, I, <laughs> I start one thing and it works for a while. And then I, I, I love change. So I have to change things up. Okay. So just recently, I have started major scheduling. Um, but the weeks before this, I have been so free that anything anything goes. So... Yes, scheduling is now a part of my life, once again. (laughs) Once again. Once again. Okay, so does one way work better than the other? Does Free Spirit Emily operate (laughs) better than uh, Notebook and Pencil Emily? I think that there's always going to be a balance of both that that is required. Um, I think balance is a part of my life that I will always strive to find, and right now I'm just in the schedule department, still haven't struck that balance yet, but... A little bit of free spirit, a little bit of let's get it done, business, Emily. I need them both. Okay. Uh, I guess one last question on mm-hmm. fitness and such. Is there anything that we missed? Anything that we missed? Um, like, I don't know, sleep or water or sleep. vitamins or something? Yeah. <laughs> so sleep is something that I could talk about for, for a moment. So sleep is so important. I have never been good at sleeping. Um, 
I, I don't know why. I just have always had anxieties and feel like I'm going to miss out mm. on my day if I, if I go to bed, you know. Um, but sleep ha- is, is such an important thing. And um, I've been trying to um, discipline myself to go to bed and get at least six and a half hours of sleep a night. Wow. Which... Yeah, it, it's hard to do um, sometimes, but but sleep sleep is crucial. That that's when your body starts to heal and, and recover. So without that, you're you're not going to get the the best health that you can. Man, I yeah, I'm just always curious about people's sleep habits, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because you're so energetic and you have so many things that you want to do. Yeah. It's just hard for you to sleep. Yeah, it's hard for me to turn my brain off because I, I gotcha. keep getting new ideas in my head. New like, ideas. I want to do that. Do you do you write all these new ideas down? I wish I did. No, I write some of them down, but um, my <laughs> my I my writing down means I grab a piece of paper. It doesn't matter where it's from. Could be an old receipt. Could be like a gum wrapper. I write it down there, and I put it somewhere. And oftentimes, I, I have no idea where it went. So I do that. I have yeah. <laughs> literally hundreds, actually, at this point, thousands of those little sheets yeah, of paper. Yeah. And every six months or so, I go through them and try to figure out what was I actually thinking right. on these things. And just oftentimes what I'm writing is just so cryptic. I don't even quite get it or I understand. Yes. And it could be anything from a very profound idea, like how to help a starving child to pick up peaches at the grocery store. So I just... I don't know. It's just, it's like a garbage dump from my mind or something. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then you got married. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, my husband, Nathan is his name. We actually met in high school. Um, so we went to Latha East high school and he was a year ahead of me and we met in an intro to law class, which Neither of us were interested in whatsoever, but we, we needed the credit. It was the only one that fit. So, um, yeah, we, we spent so much of that class studying serial killers of all things. Oh, my god! And that is where love sparked. I don't know. Weird thing. Um, but, yeah, we maintained um, a, a long-distance relationship while I went to school in New York. He stayed here in Kansas. And after those four years, we, we said, we love each other. We're going to get married. So... So you were 22, 23 when you got married? I was 22. Okay. So he would have been 23. Okay. And then what happened next? And then how did Europe come into play? Yeah. um, So we got married. We stayed a year locally around family um, just to kind of figure out the whole marriage thing, you know. And then we decided that we wanted to find um, an adventure. We wanted to to go somewhere and um, be away on our own for a while and just see what happens. So I started searching for company positions all over the place, mostly nationally, but a couple internationally. And I, there were some things that were popping up, but nothing that was, was what I really felt called to do. And then I randomly found on this website, this audition for this dance program in Budapest. And, um, I sent in an application without consulting him, of course, (laughs) and I got accepted right away almost. And then I came home and at this point he had been used to me um, saying every single day, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And typically his response is, is, no, I think we should wait. But I asked him what he thought about Budapest and his initial response was, okay. 
And so we started looking toward it. And I think that that was God's hand just kind of guiding us to, to what it was with us being both so at peace with the idea of Budapest very quickly, too. So What was different about Budapest that, I mean, you're, you're peppering him with a different idea every day. Yeah. And then he just jumps on this one. What was different about it? I wish I knew. I really did. Um, but it, I, I think it was just a place that neither of us had been. Um, I had studied abroad in the Netherlands uh, a couple of years ago. So we both kind of had in our minds that Europe would be a place we would consider going. Um, but yeah, the idea of Budapest being this um, almost mysterious place um, with opportunities for, for both of us to, to grow in, in, in some new way, um, it, it was good. So. so you first arrive in Budapest. Mm-hmm. What is, I don't know, surprising or, or challenging? Yes, everything. So their language, they speak Hungarian, which, um, fun fact, is one of the hardest languages to learn. Um, they deal with a different currency, the forint, which is a conversion of about... It, it fluctuates a lot, but I think when we were there, it was around 243 forints to a dollar. So just dealing with that math itself is a lot. Um, the whole European living lifestyle where you're walking everywhere as opposed to driving. Um, I ended up getting a bike while we were there, um, which I loved, and that was my, my mode of transport. So, yeah, there were a ton of differences that... Um, I experienced right away. How big is Budapest? Budapest is, um, it's, it's a, as far as population goes, I don't know, but it's definitely an international like hub. So there's a lot of people there, um, a lot of life and the city itself is split in between, uh, is split by the Danube River. So there's Buda on one side and Pest on the other side. So it's, it's a, it's pretty big, um, yeah, it, it's cool. So the Buddha side is all hilly, and you get more residential stuff over there, and the old castle, and then the Pesh side is where the urban um, stuff is happening, the business district, uh, the nightlife, everything is on the Pesh side. So walk me through a typical work day or work week, and then what do you do for fun? In Budapest? Yeah. So in Budapest, I would leave my house in the morning. I would ride my bike for about 45 minutes. That's how long it took me to get to work. Um, and I would start uh, with a, a ballet class. And that would be about an hour and a half. And then I would um, have like a tiny break between. I would do another class, whether that be contemporary work or floor or something like that. We would um, finish off the day uh, with a, a rep class where we would learn stuff and prepare for a performance. And after that, um, I would bike 45 minutes all the way back home. And then I would get home around uh, like 2 p.m., something like that, have some food. And then I would go out to either meet friends and do some more rehearsals on the side with just side projects that we were doing. Oh my gosh. I would go to teach a yoga class in the park, or um, I actually started teaching at a yoga studio. I would teach classes in English um, in Budapest, and so I would do that. And um, yeah, the the evenings were filled with with freedom to explore and um, make friends. <laughs> 
You just sound like you're constantly busy over there. I, I do it to myself. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and my husband on the main hand, he or on the other hand, was um, working toward his master's degree. So he was okay. going to an international um, university there. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. And then for fun, for vacation? Yeah. Um, cheap flights were our, our best friend. So we would we would pick a location that we wanted to go to and um, decide when the best time was, when the cheapest flights were. And for instance, um, for his birthday, we took a trip to Spain because he had always wanted to go to Spain. So we, we found some um, Airbnbs that were affordable and it, it was great. We took an overnight train with a couple of our friends and we went to Prague. And so, yeah, we, we definitely traveled as much as we can because why not? If somebody paid you a million dollars to move back to Budapest mm-hmm. would you for a year, would you do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love Kansas. I love my home here. But I still do miss that um, energy of, of Budapest because, yeah, there's no, there was nothing quite like that. Just a thriving electric yeah. metropolis. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've always felt a connection to the city, so okay, any city, but Budapest specifically. Um, we lived there for a decent amount of time. So, what was the yeah. best thing that happened to you in Europe? The best thing that happened to me, um, I think it. And this might be a, a cop-out answer, but I, I feel like it was just getting that experience of living in Europe. Um, coming home and um, just <laughs> having all of those memories just built up that you are sitting down at the dinner table and you're like, remember our friends, our good friends there? Um, I won't say their names in case they ever listen to, to this. But um, when we went to, to Lake Balaton and just made goulash by the fire, like it's, it's all of those memories um, and building those relationships that are, are lasting way beyond that, that year that we spent there. That's exciting. Uh, what do you think the worst thing that happened in Europe was? Who, the worst thing, um, and this is this is a silly story, um, but we <laughs> we lived in an apartment building, and there was a security guy that um, would sit at the front desk. He did not speak any English, um, and it was difficult for us to communicate with him. But um, beyond the "sia," which is "hello," okay. Um, so one time we come home from a short weekend trip and our fridge has broken. So we have this to deal with. It's okay, right? And then I go into our um, bathroom where our laundry machine also is. Water is just all over the floor. Toilet is running. They have that toilet where it's in the wall. So we have no idea how to stop the water from running. So I run down um, to the front desk area and I'm trying my best. I've got Google Translate out and I'm saying water on floor. And he has no idea what I'm talking about. And he's just so grumpy, but he still comes with me. And I bring him all the way back up. We're on the third floor. So he's also just not wanting to move. (laughs) Um, We go to the end of the hallway. He gets in there and he just very easily turns a switch on the wall, which I had no idea was a knob, turns off all the water, grumbles something in Hungarian, walks away. And from that point on, we never really had the best of relationships. Although I did try to make amends by giving him some chocolate, which made things a little bit better. But 
Yeah, wow. long story, but... No, but it's, it's good, and it just goes yeah. to show just yeah. how things are different in different places. Yeah. When you came back to the United States, did you experience any culture shock? Absolutely. Um, one of the biggest things that... Um, well, two things, actually. Driving. Things you cannot walk to, and it, it's so apparent. So you have to get in your car to go to the grocery store, whereas we could just walk down the street. Um, and grocery shopping at that... In Hungary, so Hungary is a um, post uh, the the Soviet Union. Right, right, right. It was in the Eastern Bloc. Yes, it, it was a uh, captive nation of the Soviet yes, Union. Yes, yeah. So after that, um, the after the wall fell, there was you can still see a lot of that history as as you're walking through the city. Oh. Um, even things such as chips. You have a couple of options for for chips, whereas here in America there are how how many different varieties of of nacho cheese alone, right? Right. There's, there's like a right. thousand of them. Yeah. Um, so just coming home and seeing the the variety of of selections for anything, whereas when we were in Budapest, it was like butter. This is butter, not right. This is butter. This is butter without salt. This is um, non-fat, gluten-free butter. I don't. I don't know. You name it, and we we can find it here. But you can't. You can't find things there. Okay, um, so in Hungary, maybe two kinds of chips, three kinds yeah. of chips. In the United States, two, three hundred kinds exactly, of chips. Exactly. Exactly. In Hungary, one kind of butter. Yes. Yeah. Okay, in the United States, I think I looked through the butter section. I don't know, maybe ten kinds, yeah, fifteen some, kinds, something like that. Something like yeah. that. You just see um, that that contrast between uh, availability and um, yeah. I guess the last big difference was um, the Danube River is such a like powerful presence in Budapest, and um, coming back to Kansas, where there is not a whole lot of water. <laughs> right. Um, I I really felt um, that. Um, like energy that that water provides for the city. So that that was just a, a hard transition for me to come back and just see a lot of grass and um, concrete. So. Right. Well, this was a prairie originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I noticed yeah. <laughs> when I came back. Suddenly you saw that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so driving, uh, extra choices here, and just, I guess, landscape features. Yes. Were just three big things that jumped out at you. Yes. I. This is the personal finance teacher in me coming out. I'm just curious, how did you afford living in Budapest? I mean, your husband is in school, mm-hmm. and you are working. I, how did you both manage to get by? So it came down to um, two things. Um First of all, the generosity of my family. They were very supportive with everything um, that we did. Uh, they, they did help us out some financially, um, specifically with his schooling and, and things like this. But the bigger picture, I would say, is planning in advance. Mm. Um, after we got married, uh, we saved up. We actually lived in um, a place that my parents owned, and we lived rent-free for a whole year. So imagine what you can you can a do fortune. with, with all fortune. of that. Um, we're very um, financially aware when it comes to what we spend on uh, things. So grocery shopping, where we get the sales, we get <laughs> we get the deals that, that we can. Um, we try to not spend frivolously. Um, I, for one, have never been big into clothes shopping, for example. So when I go shopping it's very rare um and yeah we're just not big big consumers of of 
things. Okay. So you economized as you go. Mm -hmm. You saved on purpose Mm -hmm. and maybe had just a little bit of help. Yes. Okay. And of course you were getting paid over there as well. And Budapest is a very affordable city. Oh. Um, Yeah. Which was another big reason why we actually got it. So the apartment that we lived in, um, I think monthly it would have been something around 500 euros per month, which if you think about an apartment here, that that's a great deal, right? Um, $550, yeah. again, conversion rate, yeah. I'm not quite sure, but um, a monthly bill that that's a that's an awesome <laughs> deal yeah. that you can get. and we were we were living pretty pretty well there so okay what made you leave the itching to explore so. <laughs> <laughs> um i i love exploring um i tend to get uncomfortable if i stay in a place for too long and um, I just felt the need to expand my wings and, and go somewhere else. And my husband was gracious enough to, to come along. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. All right. So you eventually wound up back here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've kind of talked about the various things that you're involved in now. But yeah. we haven't talked about Blink Verse. Mm-hmm. And Blink Verse is something you created? Yes. So uh, Blink Verse is a, a nonprofit um, organization. And I started it in 2017. It has been slowly growing with me. And right now it's something that has um, actually traveled with me to Budapest. So we were able to create um, just some work there um, and uh, collaborate in a music video. And uh, so far it's just been little projects that Blinkverse has, which has been actually very cool for what it is that um, it does. But the the mission of Blinkverse is to to build community and to um, Sorry, to build community and to um, keep that foundation of, of faith in individuals. Okay. And that's all done through dance and um, performing arts. Okay, so it's to build community and to build faith mm-hmm. through dance. Mm-hmm. So who can benefit from Blank Verse? Everybody can benefit from Blank Verse. So um, we've had the opportunity to go into um, an elementary school in Olathe, and we taught the dance unit as well as the yoga unit for an entire school so they had no dance experience many of them because they're elementary school kids right and it was just an an awesome thing to be able to go in and see all of these kids connecting with with an art form Um, we've also had the privilege of going into senior living homes and we teach creative movement classes and again that's just a cool way to to see dance be this connecting point for uh, an entire community. Do you have a grand plan for Blank Verse? I or have, are you just letting it evolve? <laughs> right now, it is definitely in the evolution stages, but I do have a couple of grand plans that I would like to see come into play. One of those things is um, a dancer retreat of sorts, mm. where we get together um, a group of um, quality, like professional-level dancers, and we travel to places... Um, specifically more rural communities. So Panama has been a a place that I have been traveling to since I was, I think I took my first trip there when I was 14 years old. The country Panama. The the country of Panama. Not like Panama City, Florida. No, no, not Florida. We're we're going to, yeah, (laughs) the country itself. Um, But we we worked with um, some remote populations in the Darien Rainforest 
and they have never had any exposure to to dance in the the way that we 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 dance and so getting to create that opportunity to share cultures is is very cool um mm. and it's yeah I, I lost my train of thought a little bit there, but... <laughs> well, I was just trying to ask, like, what's the grand plan, if there is yeah. a grand plan? Okay, yeah. So, like, like spiritual retreat is, is one thing that we're, we're looking toward, but we also would like to um, have just classes that, that people are able to come to and just find some refreshment in the middle of their week. Almost like um, a traditional studio app, like thing uh-huh. but we're we're still in the works of of making that a gotcha thing. like it could be like a uh, just a drop in take a class yeah. do it once a week like a yoga studio yeah or a i don't know a spin class or something along those lines yeah absolutely but the idea of just having a place where people feel comfortable and feel safe it is definitely a, a huge priority that we're trying to to put at the forefront of what it is that we're we're doing Gotcha. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. It could be a gigantic thing five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. We are letting it grow. We're watering it, giving it sunshine. <laughs> okay. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Okay. That's very, very exciting. Um, let's kind of get back to the, the realm of career paths mm-hmm. for dancers. I'm just thinking about people who may want to be a dancer someday. Maybe a 16 or a 17 year old is thinking, hey, I've been doing this for quite some time. You mentioned that there's a traditional path and then there's more of a, uh, I guess, chart your own course path. Yeah. Could you say a little bit about both? Sure. So um, traditional path, um, I will speak of this from um, a, a ballet dancer perspective. Um, you go, you audition, you get a position in a company, whether that be an apprentice, a traineeship, or a, a full company member. And then with that company, you would then that would be your job, right? So you go, you take classes with them every day, you rehearse, and then you perform. And and that's the traditional path, right? And that's what a lot of people expect when when you say professional dancer. Um, Freelance path is a whole different animal. Um, You go, you audition, you might get a, a part in a production that lasts three weeks or something like this. So you work really hard for those three weeks, but then you're still in that boat of trying to find what's next. And so this, this is the, the path that I have currently is I do work with um, companies, but all of them are project-based. So Owen Cox Dance Group, um, they have many performances throughout the year, but each year is only um, maybe a month and a half of, of rehearsal time. So then I have these little gaps in between that I have to fill either with other projects that I found or I spend time um, dedicated to Blinkverse or or other oh. areas of, li- of life that I'm, yeah. I'm working in. So in a way, you're your own boss. Yeah, and that that comes with with some challenges. Yeah, <laughs> as as well. <laughs> but. Okay, so I mean, you would plug into maybe a dance company for mm-hmm. three four weeks, but then you also work on Blinkverse, mm-hmm. where you're basically building a company. Um, this may be the worst analogy ever. I'm just trying to understand. So if I do the traditional route and I work for a company, mm-hmm. maybe that's like an actor landing on a television series. Sure. So if I land on a series, then if I'm really lucky and the series goes for seven or eight years, well, then I've got full employment for seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So I've got a steady, semi-safe job. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, the show could be canceled. It could have terrible ratings. But, but let's just say, now I've got a job for seven or eight years. Yeah. 
Uh, the others sounds a little bit like being a movie actor. Mm. So, I mean, a movie, maybe it's popular, maybe it's not, but maybe that leads to a second movie, maybe that leads to a third movie. And um, it just it's a, just a different ballgame every single time. Yeah, I actually think that's a pretty pretty good analogy. Um, and then, yeah. in, then the third thing, Blink versus when you create your own movie company, <laughs> and then other people come and then they participate in what you're doing. Yes. So I guess that's the uh, the Clint Eastwood route. I think when he was forty, he made something called Mal Paso Productions, mm-hmm. and that allowed him to take control of his career. And now he's 90. And yeah. so, I mean, he's made a lot of films in 50 years. He's acted, he's directed, he's yeah. produced, and that's just allowed him to, I guess, be his own person. Yeah, yeah. It's um, a, a lot of what I see um, Blink First in, or other organizations that are like that, or other groups that are like that, is you're creating something to provide opportunity because like we talked about I think toward the beginning of this um, the dance world is very competitive so the reason why it's so hard to find that traditional route is because it's very competitive it's hard to get those um, even if you're trained to be a professional dancer the chances of getting into one of those traditional companies is so slim and even if you do make it there maintaining that position is difficult right right um, but yeah, by creating Blink, Blink First, I have um, made this possible for, for other people to even enter into to more opportunities. So Yeah, and you can add a lot of beauty to other people's lives yeah, this way. absolutely. Is there a dancer out there that's sort of a role model for you? Somebody that you just particularly admire? There, there's a couple of um, role models out there that I have. Um, and some of them are actually my old teachers and... Uh, yeah, I, I, I admire my teachers a, a lot. Um, as far as professional dancers go, um, oh my goodness, I just, I, I blanked on their name. Come back to that question. Okay. If you would in a moment. Um, yeah, that's embarrassing. <laughs> no, no, that's quite all right. That's quite all yeah. right. How about if I ask this question instead? A 17-year-old comes to you, and mm-hmm. uh, she's been involved in dance for, I don't know, maybe five years. Okay. And it seems like she's working pretty hard, um, and she really wants to be a professional dancer. What advice would you give her? Yeah, um, so I, I've actually had this instance happen to me a couple of times um, where young young dance students will come up to me and say, I, I want to be a professional dancer. And I think the biggest thing that they have to know is that if they really want to be a professional dancer and succeed is that they have to put their entire effort into that. Mm. Um, it's not something that you can do part-time, which a lot of dance students, they do dance part-time. And then they also like to play soccer and they also like to... Um, I don't know, do debate team or, or whatever it is that they might be. But if you're going to be a professional dancer, that's got to be your your top priority. Okay. So you really do have to cut a few things away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can't, you can't have, you got to put all your eggs in one basket gotcha. <laughs> if you want to really gotcha. focus on that. I had a friend a long time ago who wrote a short story called To Decide is to Cut Away. Mm. And so you just have to cut away certain things yeah, yeah, to just absolutely. make things possible, essentially. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, let's see. In your mind, then, what would be a great career arc 
for a dancer? I mean, to me, you're kind of doing two things. Really going out on the limb. Yeah. Uh, you're dancing, first of all. And then second, you're creating blank verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so to me, in, in my mind, you're already doing two things that a lot of people would just say, those are very, very risky things. Yeah. But I feel like you've mitigated the risk by living so frugally and being so responsible with money. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, I guess, all of that being said, what do you think for... An ordinary dancer, if there is such a thing, what would be a happy, successful career arc? Yeah. Um, so, again, as as a dancer, there there are many different things that you can use your dance background in if you're ready to to transition out of being a professional dancer full time. So many dancers do find that they love choreogra- uh, choreography and they become choreographers. Um, they also become teachers. Teaching is something that I do as well. I teach dance, I teach yoga, and teaching is just a very fulfilling way to use your experience to give back and to help other people achieve um, success in, in this world. So those are, um, I think, the best ways to, to keep dancing and to keep creating, um, staying connected to that. Um, there are also other ways at, that dancers can, can continue in their careers. Um, for instance, this might be a good time for me to, to talk. Um, I'm actually considering going back to school. Okay. And I'm looking to get my master's degree in social work. Okay. So I am, um, I've, been, I'm, I've been very passionate about social work for a while, um, mostly just bringing justice to those that, that need justice for themselves, right? And helping those that, that can't help themselves. And um, I have considered the idea of dance therapy as something that Blink First could grow into. Mm. And um, just getting those those credentials and that extra education that I need to use my dance and put it into a, a different world scenario is is. Another okay. option that I've considered. kind of a dance therapy to help people out. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Okay. Are you worried that if you got into social work, that it would just take away too much time from dancing? I don't think so. Um, as a dancer, if you are truly a dancer, you're going to dance no matter what. You're going to find the time, um, even if it's in a, a non-traditional setting. Maybe you can't get to a dance class. You're going to dance in your kitchen. You're going to dance wherever it is that you can dance. In my yard, I found it is some of the best dance I, I get. <laughs> so um, Maybe I'll miss the performing aspect of being on a stage, but I'll never miss, miss that dancing because I, I'm never going to forget that. I'm never going to lose that. Okay. And that's believable because you've been doing it for 21 years. Right. It's not something that's just going to go away tomorrow. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. So I, it seems very credible to me. Um, okay, is there something about the world of dance that people just would never guess? Not in a million years. Hmm, something that people would never guess. I I think that people just might not understand really how how hard it is. And we have talked about this so much, but it really does take a lot of effort. You put so much strain on your body. You put so much strain on your mind. You put so much strain on your... Um, ability to to be creative and yeah it, it's hard work so if there's a dancer in your life go go tell them that they're awesome because it is really hard work and the thing about dancers the ones that are are, are good is that they make it look so easy so okay. finding that ease in performance knowing that all of all of the work is hard is 
amazing. <laughs> Thinking about just one more aspect of yeah. career, would you be better served or would dancers be better served if they had a YouTube channel or an Instagram or just something where they had some sort of a portfolio? I, I just think, especially for people who are trying to get into a traditional arrangement, like, oh, I'm working for a dance company. I, I want to work for the same company for, say, a year or two or five. Yeah. It would just seem to me everything rides on one audition. Yes. And then if you have a bad day, uh, if you have your worst day of the year, well, gosh, had you come back on 364 other days, it yeah. would have been better. Uh, is there any way to have a portfolio of yeah. work? So, um as a professional dancer, I, I keep a, a portfolio. Um, we have dance reels, which are a collection of excerpts from performances or um, classwork that you have. And you put that into a, what, maybe two to five minute video. And then you can send that to people that are, that are looking at you. Um, always keep a resume. Photos are also important, both headshots, which you would use in auditions, as well as um, dance shots, which is just something that people can see what your body looks like. Um, and as far as that one audition goes, that is very important. However, I do, just because we haven't mentioned this, connections in the dance world mm. are so important as well. Um, my job with Owen Cox Dance Group, I actually knew the director from that. I met her when I was 13 or 14. So I never worked with her um, until I graduated college, but I actually sent her an email asking if she had a space for dancers or if I could audition at the end of my college um, career, so to speak, and um, she did. So having that connection, I still went through that audition process, but I knew her before, so it's, it's so much about the people that you know. Yeah, absolutely. They always say it's not who you know, it's, or, or what do they say? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. I have a slightly different take on that. I always think it's who knows what you know. Who knows what you know. And what I, I mean by that is, well, if they know that you're a capable, competent dancer and that you're easy to work with, well, then they know that about you. So if, if they know that, they're much more likely to hire you. Absolutely. And if uh, on the flip side, if I'm just a, I don't know, a terrible, incompetent, hard to get along with person. <laughs> and if they know that, well, then it's who knows what you know. So right. if they know that I don't know anything and I'm difficult, well, then why hire me? So I, I always think it's not just who, who knows you, it's who knows what you know. Yeah. Just my take on it. Does it work that way in the dance world? I would definitely say so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't have anything to add to that for sure. Um, anytime I've gotten hired, it's, it's because... I, well, I, I think the majority of the times I've gotten hired, it's because I've had somebody on the other side that was able to vouch for not just my um, technique, but also for my, my character and how I work in the process of, of a rehearsal or, or performance. Okay. It does boil down the character and personality and yeah. hard work and skill and just yeah. all those things. Yeah. I mean, skill is important, but if, if you are just a, a terrible person, nobody wants to work with you. It doesn't matter how good you are, right? So um, dancers rehearse for hours, and if you've got to be stuck in a room with, with that dancer for a long mm. time. So you want to be a person that other people also like. And yeah, it's, it's a team... It's a team sport, so to speak. Would um, an A-plus dancer with a horrible personality lose out to an A dancer with a great personality? 
totally depends on the situation. <laughs> if I was hiring that A dancer would I, I want to work with people that that I like. <laughs> so okay. if if A plus dancer terrible personality, I would not hire them, but somebody else might. Okay. So. Okay. Well, I think that's very fair. Uh, suppose somebody is 15 or 16 and they just want to get started. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they want to dance professionally or if they just want to add joy to their life. Yeah. What would you recommend? I would recommend taking an open class. And there are open classes. You can find them anyway through Google. Um, I teach an open ballet class in downtown Kansas City. Little plug, Dance Fit Flow, so you can check it out. It is an adult studio, so if you are above... 18, I believe you can check that out. And I teach an open ballet class for beginners, for anybody that's, that's checking that out. Um, but for students, there are just so many different places that you can go and just take a class and see if you like it, see how, how it feels. And if you don't like it, try another style. That's the, the great thing about dance is that you, there's no one size fits all. If you don't like ballet, try tap. If you don't like that, try salsa. Like <laughs> there's something for everybody. What if you take a few classes and you just think, I have two left feet, I am just so bad at this, I really like this, but I am just the world's biggest klutz, <laughs> and so then you look around the room and you realize, objectively speaking, you are the slowest, dumbest person in the room, but you still like it. What should you do? If you still like it, just keep going. I think that's really, really important. If you don't like it, don't do it. I tell my dance students this too. I tell them that I run because I like to run. If they don't like to run, you should not run. You should find something outside of running that helps helps you to stay um, active or stay um, in, in shape. But yeah, if you are in those classes and you're just having a blast, just keep with it because that's that's the most important thing that you could do. Okay. Okay. Don't worry so much about success or failure. Just keep swimming. Yeah. Just keep swimming. I like okay. That. Okay. Well, Emily, this has been fantastic. I have one last question for you. Um, let's just fast forward to 75 years from now. You are 100 years old. You are sitting on the front porch of your house and uh, your husband is holding your hand and you are surrounded by children and grandchildren and maybe great-grandchildren and people just ask you grandma what was good and wonderful about your life what do you say i say the people around me yeah looking back even on my my short 25 years of life the relationships that i have that i've had and that i've made have been the most important thing my favorite memories, although many of them are surrounded by the dance world, it's always been a, a true friend that I've been able to share the stage with or a true um, moment with my mom as she's like putting my hair up in curlers as I'm about to go on stage for my first recital. Those, those memories of the behind the scenes of the big pictures are so important. So it's the little details of life that, that are the most beautiful the web of connections the web of connections absolutely that's beautiful. Yeah. that's beautiful emily thank you so much thank you perfect done yeah all right yeah that was awesome thank you that was so great much. thank you for listening to this episode of seemingly ordinary 
The biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to check out my book, Tom Buchanan, Misunderstood, which is a different spin on The Great Gatsby. It's available on Amazon.com. Until next week.